Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Hello everybody, it's Nicola Fustel from the Fustel Fit Health and Fitness Show podcast and on 91.8 Hayes FM for local listeners. I was so excited about my guest this week. I caught up with Catherine Hansen just a few days ago. And the reason being, she is the author of the book Brain Over Binge and a very inspiring lady. She shares her story in this book and she literally changed my life. So she was definitely um, my top priority to have her on the show. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Please get in contact, leave a review and let me know what you thought of it. Welcome Catherine to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I was really excited to talk to you because your book literally changed my life. And like I was suffering from bulimia and disordered eating for such a long time. And I actually had therapy, but I was signed off from therapy maybe six years, no, five years ago, because my daughter's five now. And um, I was living like the, I think you mentioned in your book, the untamed house pet, which I'm going to ask you about in a bit. And it was literally your book, that sentence where you mentioned the butterfly that I then realized I could be the butterfly and I could be free forever and not actually have triggers and things, you know, which would always bring me back into my eating disorder. So I really wanted to just speak to you so that the people who are following my podcast as well can, you know, learn from your experience and perhaps buy your book as well and help themselves. So would you mind just talking a little bit about your story for people who haven't heard of you already? Yeah, sure. I am the author of the book Brain Over Binge, and more recently, this year, I published the Brain Over Binge Recovery Guide. I've been recovered from bulimia for about 11 years, and I really try to be an alternative voice in the field of eating eating disorders. I teach that eating disorders are brain-based problems, that they're not the results of underlying emotional problems, and that they are not diseases or disorders, or they're disorders, but they're not you're not broken. You're not flawed. This is something that happens naturally after a period of dieting. So I'm really trying to simplify the treatment for eating disorders. I'm trying to simplify what eating disorders mean to people and just giving people a more efficient way to recover, a more easier way to put it behind them. And as far as my personal story, I started dieting around the age of 15 and just kind of like my friends were doing cutting down on calories and it just seemed like a time where everyone was starting to become conscious of their weight. And this really just kind of got out of control for me. And the more I cut back on food, the more I wanted to eat and my cravings got stronger and stronger until one day my body just took over and I binged for the first time when I was about 17. And this continued and really consumed my life and the binges increased and the urges just got the better of me every time. And I purged through basically through over-exercising, like extreme hours and hours of exercise and also um, restriction after binges. So this went on for about six years. And like you, therapy was not helpful to me. And this is why I really try to be an alternative today and provide a, a more simple path to recovery. Well, the thing that you just mentioned there about the purging being over-exercise, I mean, I found myself doing that for many years and didn't even realise that I had a problem. I mean, I, I thought I had a problem, but a personal one that I just couldn't seem to stick on a diet and that I was just constantly failing. And in the fitness industry, my behaviours were almost applauded by other people and they were, 
you know, you're, you're doing so well doing all this exercise and other people were exercising just as much and, and maybe more than I was as well. So, it, you know, without being sick in bulimia, I didn't actually realize that it was an eating disorder. Yeah, that's it's very the type of behaviors that are common in eating disorders are promoted by, <clears throat> excuse me, the fitness industry. And it's, it's a, not a good situation because you have people on social media posting these workouts and these pictures of their body. And, you know, while some of these people are healthy and I'm not arguing with that, it can encourage eating disorder behaviors, especially in young people who are looking up to these people as role models. Yeah. So, and so can you just take me back a little bit to what was life like before binge eating? Before binge eating, I was always, I had a pretty normal childhood growing up. I never really was concerned about my weight. I was always super athletic. I was always naturally on the skinny side. Um, and But I guess weight was talked about in my family. Like it was always sort of a, an um, assumption that when I reached a certain age that I would have to start worrying about it. I don't know. I got, I picked up this belief somewhere just from my, my parents talking or, or relatives, just that other women around me, older women were talking about their weight and diet. So I just assumed, okay, one day I'll start to put on weight and I'll have to start worrying about it. It was just mm -hmm. sort of in the back of my mind. And that didn't happen until I was about 15. And the weight I put on just growing naturally into a woman was very normal and very healthy and I was still active and athletic, but it just concerned me because of this background I had and, and thinking I would have to start worrying about it. So it was that time when I sort of put on that natural weight as a teenager that I started worrying about it and I started thinking I had to control it, but in effect, the controlling it absolutely backfired and made me start binging and gained way more weight than I ever would have gained just developing naturally. And how did you feel with the fluctuation in your weight with your body image? When I was a teenager? Yeah. Um, it just concerned me in that I thought it would just keep going. So I really didn't have a positive role model to basically say, okay, this is normal. It's going to stop. I basically had people in my life that gave the message, not necessarily directly to me, but that sort of sent the message that this is just a normal process of becoming a woman and now you have to control it. Like it wasn't ever told to me that your body is intelligent and your body knows what your natural weight is. And as long as you listen to it and you move your body and you eat decent, then your body's going to find its natural weight. I didn't really have the, that positive message in my, in my life at all. So then you took your first diet and ended up binging and, and entering into that cycle. During that cycle, when did you realize that it was an eating disorder that you had? Probably at the end of, around the end of high school. I mean, maybe the last year of high school because I, when I was dieting, I really didn't think it was that much of a problem because other people were doing it. It just didn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, it was, but it didn't seem like it. It wasn't until the binging seemed completely out of control. I, I felt... I'm sure you've experienced this or other people who binge, when you experience these urges to binge, it makes you feel completely out of control, like a completely different person and that you don't even have control yeah. of what you eat. And it just made me feel like something is wrong with me. This is not normal. So it, I really sought therapy in college when I first entered college because I felt like I couldn't control it on my own. And so you, you yourself took yourself to therapy or does somebody say to you that, this was getting a little bit out of hand and you maybe needed some extra help. 
It was during, it was my track coach in college. I actually went to college on a track and cross country scholarship. And at the time I was still really underweight from dieting and anorexia. And I was just really starting to gain a ton of weight from the binging, but I was still underweight. And, um, he sent me to therapy, my coach for, uh, the being underweight. So he didn't know about the binging, but as soon as I went to therapy, I started talking about the, the binging. Cause that was the main problem that I didn't feel like I could control. Yeah. And why do you think therapy didn't work for you? It was just very overly complicated. I was young, extremely young at the time and I had dieted. I was normal and I went on a diet and it did things to my body and brain that weren't natural. It made me, I talk about in my book, the the primal part of the brain that's responsible for our survival. When you diet, it senses as if it's a famine. It senses that it needs to drive you to get as much food as possible, as soon as possible. And the cravings just increase and make you feel crazy when you're, you're normal. Like this is not something that's a symptom of you being diseased or disordered. And I was told instead, instead of being told that, I was told that it was a symptom of emotional issues, of mm-hmm. problems in my, my childhood and growing up and of anxiety or depression or all these things that were super complicated for a 18-year-old, 19-year-old in college to try to sort all that out when really the problem was just that I had restricted my calories in high school. And so can you explain the two brains and why most people who go on diets end up with binge eating? Okay, so all of us have a primitive brain deep inside of our brain below the like wrinkled outer, outer layer of our brain. And it's really responsible, this primitive brain area, which I refer to as the lower brain in my book, it's responsible for our survival. It's automatic. It's not thinking in the sense of doesn't really use words. It's just charged with our survival. It drives us to things that help us survive. And food is obviously a huge part of that. So our lower brain is really responsible for a lot of our eating behaviors. And it all works pretty well when you're listening to your body and it sends us natural hunger, fullness signals and cravings to eat normal amounts of food. And that's all great. And that's how we survive. But when you diet, the lower brain sort of goes into hyperdrive. It gets to where it senses a famine and it senses that it needs to get you to eat as much as possible and to store as much as possible to protect you. And this is a helpful evolutionary adaptation that we've, we're sort of have to deal with now in our modern times. We don't need in modern times, we might've needed to eat in times of famine to save up food for when the famine, well, just trying to explain that today, we don't really have the food shortage that we had then, but we're still kind of wired for food shortage. So when we diet, we kind of create this artificial food shortage, but there's food everywhere. So we, our brains think we're starving and need to get as much food as possible. And the food is readily available. So this is why binging occurs in most cases. It's not every binge eating disorder begins with a diet. I'll be clear about that, but many, many, the majority of them do, especially bulimia. So it's just a natural process. And I think that the current view of it as as this big emotional issue just really makes it a lot more complicated for people. So that's the the lower brain that chart that causes us to binge. And then over time in that same lower brain, the automatic 
center of our brain, a habit formation occurs. And the this part of the brain is also responsible for these automatic habits that can help us survive. But also habit formation has a dark side as well in that when you repeat a behavior, no matter what it is, over and over, your brain starts to think that you need to do it to survive. So that's really what happens in binge eating. Even if the food shortage stops, the habit can continue in that you your brain actually acts like you need to binge to survive. So it just strongly continues to drive you toward it. And then, but that is not that lower brain doesn't have control of us. We have a higher brain. The higher brain is our the highest human brain. The most sophisticated part of our brain is the prefrontal cortex. And that gives us voluntary control of our behavior. No matter what is sent, what messages are sent through the lower brain, what feelings occur, what urges occur, our higher brain also has, has what I call veto power, the power to say no, the power to control your voluntary actions. So the higher brain is more of your thinking brain. It's more of your rational brain. It is the part of you that you consider to be you, that you have your identity, you have your awareness. This is really the part of our, this is our human brain. And the primitive brain could also be called the animal brain. So it's really the two brains. And if you can understand the process, then I teach how to then use your higher brain to override these automatic instincts and habitual urges from the lower brain. So do you think, because obviously when you um, discovered all of this, you were still going through binge eating disorder, you must have used maybe your higher brain in order to bring yourself out of it to be able to understand that there was a difference in the voices inside your head. Yes, definitely. And I first learned this information about the higher and lower brain from a book called Rational Recovery by Jack Trimpey. And it was really for alcoholics and drug addicts. But I found so many parallels to what I was going through. And he teaches that you always have control of your behavior and addictions are a choice and that's a controversial statement it's not a choice of the urges that come up but mm -hmm. it's always a choice to follow them because the prefrontal cortex the higher brain is the only part of the brain that has control of your voluntary muscles which is in eating disorders going to the refrigerator going to the fast food restaurant picking up the food and eating it those are your voluntary muscles so only your higher brain has control of that the lower brain all it can do is urge you to perform these behaviors so this book that I read explained this difference to me and it taught a technique called addictive voice recognition technique and it's basically any voice, any feeling, any urge to do your habit, to do your addiction or in my case binge eating comes from the lower brain and if you can just learn to recognize it, if you can learn to recognize those urges and that voice that encourages you to binge and separate from it then you can then use your higher brain to choose differently, to choose not to binge. And do you think since you stopped the binge eating, did you ever have any urges to purge? Um, no, I didn't in my case. I know that that's not the case for everyone, but my purging was strictly uh, to compensate for the binges. It was strictly a purging behavior. It wasn't, I didn't go and exercise for seven hours if I hadn't binged. It mm -hmm. just wasn't something I did. I'd go exercise at the gym, but not for seven hours. You know, I'd do a half an hour of cardio and maybe some weights or something. Like it wasn't excessive. I, I knew it was only to compensate. So once I stopped binging, then I didn't have that desire to purge. I had desire to exercise, but not in an unhealthy way. 
So through all of that exercise, because I found myself, obviously I was exercising to purge and I even ran the marathon as a way of purging off food. I kind of felt like, you know, I was, I was like doing what the other marathon runners were doing. We were having to eat extra food in order to fuel us for the runs. But I was always working off something that I'd eaten. I was never really just fueling myself and not looking at it in a healthy way. But through the most amount of exercise that I did, I found that I became very addicted to exercise. Did you find that that happened to you at all? Um, I don't think so. I mean, not, not personally, but I've heard that it happens to people and especially even self-induced vomiting as well. Like people who do that after they binge might then still have urges to do that after they eat a satisfying meal. They might get that fullness signal and it triggers that automatic urges to purge. But I think these they become habits as well. And these, Mm -hmm. anything habitual urge comes from the lower brain. And you can also learn to separate yourself from that and realize that that's not what you truly want. And you can sort of let these urges come and go without acting on them, without getting emotional about them. And then they fade away once you stop acting on them. And can we talk a little bit about your triggers? Sure. What kind of things would trigger you? Um, in my case, this was a really big focus in therapy to find your triggers. And it was all about finding sort of the negative in your life that triggered you to want to binge because binging was seen as a coping mechanism for these negative life experiences, this negative stress or anxiety. So it was all about finding that. So when I was in therapy, I was pretty good at finding things because it seemed like I could always find something that was wrong in my life. I could always find some stress I was going through. So I said, well, I must have binged because of that. This must have triggered me. Um, In reality, it was a little more random, I think. Like I I binge sometimes when I was otherwise okay, when I was otherwise happy, when these urges just kind of came habitually. Um, There were some patterns, like, of course, when I was alone, just because binging is a uh, isolating thing. It's a shameful thing. Um, people don't do it in public. So when I was, al- I created a connection there. So I binged when I started binging, I binged alone. So other times when I was alone, that sort of stimulus so response, habit. yeah, just have it. So alone, um, if I didn't have other things to do again, it was all, I built connections, the habit built connections over time to certain things. And personally, I think in recovering, it didn't matter too much as far as triggers. Like it was helpful to be aware of times I might get urges, but in therapy, the focus was on like changing the triggers, like fixing the stress, reducing anxiety or negative experiences in your day so that you wouldn't get urges, but I don't necessarily think that's helpful because that's a huge task, especially for a young person to try to fix everything. So if I was just aware of the urges and realizing that the urges were the problem, and that all I had to do was separate from them, then it really didn't matter what triggered it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it must have been quite a process to detach yourself from thoughts going on in your brain over and over till it became a new habit. Do you know how long it took you to get through that? Well, it took, I would say about nine months for like any remnants of my urges to go away, any these little desires. But I did not struggle with strong urges for nine months. For me, it was relatively quick process in that once I learned this information and once I learned that the urges weren't deep and meaningful and didn't signal a disease, and once I learned that they were just kind of habitual automatic messages, and once I felt that I was separate from them, which happened pretty quickly after reading this book, Rational Recovery, that 
I sort of went home that night and I experienced an urge in a whole new way. And I just continued to do that and continued to sort of observe my brain almost being a detached observer and just listen to these messages. And they sounded completely different once I was no longer paying attention to them. So I would say like the first maybe three weeks, it was a little bit tricky to detach from them sometimes. Sometimes I would think that I, I truly did want to binge, but then I would remember that this is, you know, this feeling of desire is automatic. It's just my brain trying to make me maintain my habit. I know I don't want this habit and just kind of let that desire come and go. And it really got weaker pretty, pretty quickly in my case. I know people who binge for longer, it could take longer. Um, but for, for me, after about three months, it became pretty effortless to just hear this sort of automatic desire come up and not follow it. But I was also making sure that I was eating enough at the time. Like it was very important. I think now, especially in working with others, that if you're not eating enough, if you're still dieting, restricting, these urges are not going to go away easily. Yeah. Um, but if you're eating and fueling your body properly, then it allows them to fade away. And do you believe with restriction, there's two types of restrictions, so physically reducing your calories, but also mental restriction where you're still having shame and guilt around foods? Yeah, definitely. I think that the calorie restriction is maybe more harmful in terms of like your survival instincts mm -hmm. and this primitive process, but the mental restrictions can be just as harmful in that once you put something off limits, it just becomes more appealing and it becomes putting something off limits can become an obsession and it can become stressful and it just makes food into this big deal when it just shouldn't be. It should just be natural and a way to fuel your body. So I think both can lead to binge eating and both do lead to binge eating, but it's really a balance of people because I know that a lot of people want to be healthy and I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show want to eat well. And I don't think restriction is the same as eating healthy. It's not. Or if you choose to eat healthy, if you choose certain foods because they make you feel great, that's not restricting. Restricting is when you are making something off limits and you're creating rules and you're basically telling yourself no all the time and you're not making genuine choices. You're making choices based on sort of a, a fear, I guess. Yeah. And do you think that body image plays a big part in that? Um, I do. I mean, people with more positive body images are more likely to be more relaxed around food and to just trust their body more and to allow their body to just be at its natural weight without trying to change it. I mean, I think that's a huge part of all this is being able to accept your body's natural weight. That doesn't mean accepting it when it's accepting that you can be unhealthy. Like that's not it at all. It just means that everyone sort of has a genetic range that they can be in comfortably without mm -hmm. having to restrict and diet and avoid all these types of foods. It's just a really losing battle when you're trying to maintain a weight outside your range. So once, if you're comfortable with being in the range that your body is predisposed to be in, that makes just everything so much easier because you're not going to be so tempted to restrict. Yeah. So you're talking about body set point, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, I know there's some controversy, but I definitely believe there's, there's a range that, that people, everyone can be in a healthy range. It doesn't mean that, you know, people who are obese are in their natural range. It means that, you know, if you're eating well, if you're mean, if you're exercising moderately, that everyone's body just genetically has a, a certain place that it, it feels most comfortable being. Yeah, definitely. That, and can I ask you then about 
the sentence that changed my life. <laughs> okay. So the, the tamed house pet and the butterfly. Can you explain that to people who have not read your book? Um, well, the tamed house pet, I talked about two different types of recovery. And the tamed house pet is someone who basically is, is in therapy or follows some program that they believe that gets the bulimia under control. But it's a very, it's almost like being on a leash. Like you, you have to do certain things in order to maintain your recovery. You have to eat a certain way, certain number of calories. You have to watch out for triggers. You have to make sure you're reducing stress. And it just becomes a very difficult issue. It becomes a very day-to-day, one-day-at-a-time type of thing. And you're never really secure in your recovery. So it's like this constant battle or constant stress. But, you know, it that can be helpful. It can help people get it under control. But it's really not a way to live free. Yeah, and that's um, how I felt. I, I, thought, I actually thought like a recovered alcoholic, you know, yeah. could never maybe enjoy a glass of wine with friends socially or could maybe not be around a pub situation. I actually thought as a recovered bulimic, I would never be allowed to be around you know, masses of food at parties or, you know, various things that used to trigger me. I just thought that's just the way my life is now. I'm going to have all these triggers. Yeah. And and now do you feel like you're free from all that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm now the butterfly. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the way I, well, I guess there's maybe two types of butterfly tales. Because the way I talked about it in my book, um, the first way is that in therapy, I was told that, okay, there was the tamed house pet sort of way of recovery. But then there was another way and it involved complete self transformation on maybe an emotional level on a level of just getting your life all under control and fixed and sorting out everything from your past. And that's sort of the, what I was presented with in therapy that seemed really overwhelming to me. And I, I heard that if you did all that emotionally, you became this whole and happy person, then you would no longer need your eating disorders. And then you could become a butterfly, but that just wasn't happening for me. So I sort of created my own butterfly tale in that I could, I learned about my brain. I learned that I could be free of this lower brain glitch, if you want to call it. And that I could be a butterfly. I could not follow that anymore. I could be free of those urges and those compulsions that just consumed me before. So it was a butterfly story, but not in a completely self transformational way in that I don't I'm not a perfect person. I'm not completely happy all the time, but like this massive problem that consumed so much of my life and just prevented me from having a normal life is gone. And there's like nothing I have to do to maintain it on a day-to-day -day basis. It's mm -hmm. just over and done. Yeah, because it takes up so much of your brain, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. So as many, many years are wasted dealing with something that you could really not have had and you know actually just enjoyed those memories yeah, exactly. And I, that's sort of the message I want to get across. And the people I want to help, I just want to say that it is something that can be brought under control. And it doesn't have to be this huge, daunting problem. And it's just the amount of people that suffer with it is, is just staggering. And that yeah. I think a lot of people are, are don't come out with it like you are and like I have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so many people suffering in silence with it. And that's the thing I, I, this is why I really want to speak out now because I believe, you know, coming from the fitness industry that, and as I said, my behaviors were normal to me because everybody else was doing the same thing. And so I truly believe there's a high percentage of people who are suffering with this or similar, whether they're eating disorders or disordered eating and they're not coming out with it, or maybe they're just living with it because like I was before, I thought that was the way and I was recovered, but you know, always living on edge of my triggers. Yeah. 
So obviously you've changed my life and I'm sure you've had lots of responses from other people and changing their life with your book. But how has your book changed your life? Um, well, I mean, it's been amazing being able to help other people and being able to hear things like you just said that I've changed your life and changed other people's lives. Because when I started writing, I just wanted to share my story, like just hoping that somebody would get something from it. And I thought maybe if I could just help one person and the fact that it's just kind of taken off and people have resonated with it. And I mean, it's not for everyone, but that it has helped people and it's just been amazing. And it's led me to write then my second book, the recovery guide, which is my first book was my own story, more of a memoir. This is more of a like guided self-help book that sort of takes you through the same principles that help me, but helps you apply them in a way that works for you. So for people who've read the first book but haven't had that click and it's just changed them, this has helped them to the next process? Yes, exactly. That's the goal. So as a mum, how do you teach your kids now about food and exercise and are you careful with the words that you use and the way you talk about body image? Um, yeah, I mean, they're still pretty young. They're between the ages of three and nine. Um, we don't talk about weight like in our house. We talk about being healthy or being active, but like... I don't think I've ever said one thing about weight to them. I mean, I think maybe as they get older, we'll have some honest conversations about weight and different things, but I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, I don't make comments about their body. I tell them they're beautiful and they're, you know, but not in a, Oh, you're thin or it doesn't just yeah. weight and body size just doesn't come into our household. We learn that everyone's different, that everyone's created differently. And that's just how we talk about it in our house. So are you completely binge free now? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I have been for, you know, 11 years and it's just something, it doesn't mean I eat perfectly every day. I don't at all. I mean, sometimes I might have a little more than my body might need, or sometimes I might be too busy and have a little less than my body mm -hmm. might need, or, you know, there's a delicious dirt and I'll have dessert, dirt, <laughs> delicious <laughs> dessert and have an extra serving. I know I don't eat dirt. Um, but you know, it's just, I'm just normal. Like there's nothing, you know, Exactly. That's how need... you say normal. That's how normal people eat. And normal people can even have a binge. I mean, even my teenager would maybe go to the cinema and have lots of popcorn and things. And then her belly would be bloated. And she says, oh, I feel a little bit sick, you know, and then she just won't do that again for a long time. But it's not an issue. She won't then purge or over exercise or anything because of it. And just, you know, teenagers especially do that a lot. Yeah, exactly. And the body just knows to balance itself out. If you yeah. eat a little too much, then you're just not as hungry for a little while. And if you listen to your body, it just naturally takes care of that. But when you're trying to control it, it makes it much harder to control, actually. So can I just ask you about your, your health now? So in terms of um, like any physical problems as a result of doing so much exercise back in the day, I'm not sure how many years you went through that. Um, I don't really have any issues now. Um, when I was dieting, I had, I lost my period. I had weaker bone structure, I guess. And I got a bunch of stress fractures trying to run in college, trying to compete competitively in running. And so I got fractures and, um, it was just early on in college, I ended up having to give up running because of that. I mean, I still jog today, but like nothing competitive. Um, but no, I mean, nothing today as far as like residual effects from it. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a long time since I've had any of the eating issues and stuff, but no, not, not now. So you must just feel grateful every day that you're just living normally. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do that. I just get a chance to live a normal life. And, you know, like I said, it's not that it's perfect or that there isn't stress, but there just is no perfect. I really want to thank you for your time today. I'm not going to take too much longer of your time. 
but just in case anybody wants to hear more or um, get any tips or advice from you is there anywhere you can guide them to um yeah I have a website it's brainoverbinge.com and I have a blog there I send a monthly newsletter if you sign up for my mailing list you actually can get a free ebook I have a brain it's called brain over binge basics if you sign up for my mailing list it's like all the basics of what I teach and that might be all you need to recover so I really wanted to offer that to just help people get started and then my two books are on Amazon and I started teaching a brain over binge course um, I had the first one this summer which was very successful like with phone calls and a forum and that's been really great and we're gonna repeat that again so I'll have information about that on my website as well so yeah hopefully that gives you information that you could use thank you so much I think you know, you're doing great work and um, I hope somebody benefits from listening to this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, fustillfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustillfit.co.uk.